0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cosmic Closet Podcast. I am your host, Blaine, and I'm joined today by the co-host. We have Jacob. Hello, guys. And we are also joined by a guest. We have the founder of Gas Digital Network and the host of the SDR Podcast. We have Mr. Ralph Sutton.
1: Hello, gentlemen. How are you kids?
0: (laughs) We're we're doing good. (laughs) We're doing good. Uh, We're glad that you're on the show. Um, And you are a bit of a podcaster yourself.
1: I try to be, yeah, <laughs> somewhat. Yeah, I try to be. How long has this show been going on?
0: Uh, we started a little bit over a year ago, back in 2018, uh, February, so just a little and bit it, over year and a half. Is both
1: uh, a first podcast for the two of you? It's
0: the mm-hmm. first one, yeah, that we've done together, yeah.
1: But what were you saying? Had you come from either... Have you either of you come from podcasts, or you just decided to start one for the first time together?
0: Yeah, we started yes, to start so one for, first. Yeah. All right,
1: cool. Nifty pants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, we started it to kind of just stay together. We're going into our last year of college. So we're like, well, let's just keep in touch. Let's just talk about some topics that we both enjoy. And that's, that's what we've been doing. Yeah, so you're both about,
1: am I right that you're both about 20-ish? 20, 21? 21. Right? Yeah, yep. 21. Holy shit. <laughs> God damn it. When I was 21. God, it's so long ago. Crazy.
0: Well, I want to talk about when you were 14. I wanted to just get this out of the way. What? What the hell happened with the
1: FBI? All right, so you got to remember, this is before the... In- there was no internet when I was 14. I'm going to be fifty <laughs> this year. We had a thing called BBSs, which were bulletin board systems. And I, the way I would describe it is like if uh, the train system is kind of like the internet, where you're connected to everywhere. Technically, you go anywhere, be anywhere else. You know what I mean? It's like a, just a connection. Everything's connected at right. once. Yeah. But uh, BBS would be like a, an Uber, where... You're just going from point A to point B. One person. And that's it. Like I would call a BBS, and I could be the only one on, mm-hmm. and then I would disconnect it. Then somebody else would go see what I did. You know, it's primitive, but in, in 1984, this was cutting cutting edge technology. <laughs> right. Um, and to give you another example, um, now you're you're used to gigabyte internet. You know, so a gig is a thousand megabits, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we know this, right? Right. And one megabit is a thousand k. A thousand K is made up of uh, bits, right? So each each th- K is a is a is a bit. And um, the, my first connection to the internet to to BBS is was a three hundred bit connection. Oh God! <laughs> so that it was only text. There was no graphics. You know, it's very different time. But I was always somewhat fascinated by technology, and even then, if you would call it technology, and my brother and I figured out how to do certain things that you probably shouldn't be doing when you're 14 like changing <laughs> kids grades in high in high school and we would also um order things and charge them to corporations oh my god figure out a way to like um change our, our our phone bills to be like $3 a month you know stupid oh, shit whoa but things you could get away with back then because it was not like it is now you know it's the the if you knew a little bit you could go a long way in fact on a, on a side note another thing that we did that is unheard of to keep in mind this before the world was connected so we had i had a temporary bbs that only lived for a little while and i stopped it because it was too much work i preferred just going to other ones and my brother and i uh got a call one day and it was a we could tell they were trying to call the bbs it didn't (laughs) exist anymore and it was actually a call from europe which at the time a guy calling from england was like holy shit like why are they (laughs) calling from england it was you know hard to believe and what we realized from talking to each other was that um, his the games that were released in Europe were very different than the games that were released in America. Mm. So we would send games that we had to him. He would send games to us. It would take weeks to get. <laughs> and then we would I'd put our, we'd put our names on the games as that we cracked them, which we did not. Somebody cracked them in Europe. But nobody knew that we did that you know like we put our names on it so stupid we were my last name is sutton our hacking name was the sutton brothers which is just <laughs> oh,
0: oh my god <laughs> So stupid, but we're Broke 14 we're idiots
1: sick. you know but we were it was actually by the time we got caught we were uh like maybe 15 right and what happened was I had just graduated high school at 14 or 13 and a half, whatever. And now a year later, we were, sorry, uh, you know, junior high. I was was like, (laughs) damn. Sorry, not that smart. Um, And we missed our friends from eighth grade. So we would do these, which again, all this shit now sounds so commonplace. (laughs) But I promise you, 35 years ago, this was cutting edge technology. um, We had a conference call where we would get seven or eight friends on. It started where hackers would do it. They would charge the whole call to some corporation. At the time, it was a thousand dollars to do. Oh my you know? god! And all of us would get on and share hacking ideas. You know, but then my brother and I said, "Oh, you know, we should do this for all the friends from from high, from eighth grade and get on a call." And we did it. And then someone on the call thought it was neat, so they started doing it with their friends. That person got busted. Okay. <laughs> that person decided to turn on me. And my brother would say, Oh, you really want somebody? Go after these guys. They're the ones oh, that give the information, ish. right? So, what happened was, I'm literally having uh, dinner with my mom and my brother, and we get a, a knock on the door. And I swear to God, it was like out of a fucking movie <laughs> right? where I answered the door. There was a badge at the door that said FBI, and it said, Can we, the person said, can we speak to the parents of Ralph and Joe Sutton? <laughs> And I go running into the living, to the into the dining room. I go, mom, um, the FBI is here for you to talk about. <laughs> I go, what the, and I didn't really even make, because at the time we had been a little, like we kind of moved away from it. We weren't doing it as much anymore, but I guess, you know, technology is always about a year ahead of law. So they caught up to us. And the best thing ever is my mother said, hang on a second and said, can you come back? We're sitting down for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and amazingly, they said, okay, no problem. And they said, we'll wow. be back in an hour," And they left. My mother and father been divorced since uh, five, but my mother called my father. And they said, they spoke to a lawyer who said, you don't have to let them in if they don't have a warrant. So that's what we did. And they said, you'd have to reach out to this lawyer, blah, blah, blah. And then for the next year, we were going to meet with lawyers Jeez. and talking about what happened and they realized, you know, we were fucking 15. We were just throughputers of information. Right. We weren't really doing anything terrible, you know? Yeah, so my yeah. father got a good lawyer, and after about a year of being told that there was a three-year uh, jail sentence and a $300,000 fine oh my that God. they were looking to get, then it got reduced to uh, two years in juvie, but then it got actually dismissed. <laughs> so it took God, a year man. but boy did I fucking shit, shit for <laughs> and for a long time after that I didn't even want to own a computer like I'm like I'm not going to get down that path again well, but now fair. we all do fucking shit we probably shouldn't do like even when, when Napster came out I was downloading mp3s left and right and you know um Cody I don't know if you guys I'm sure you guys are using discord so you probably know what Cody is but um I love Cody it's questionably legal I don't know what that is about. <laughs> you know so I uh really was uh you know by the way on a side note i was twice interviewed by the fbi that was the first time and then the second (laughs) time was crazy is uh i would say february september 14th 2001 so three days after september 11th right the saturday before uh which was the ninth right or i think it would be right um all the terrorists Went to the strip club that I was a DJ at. Whoa, and they had them wow. on tape. And the, the crazy parts were when they asked one of the one of the girls asked one of the guys, what do you do for a living? He said he was an airline pilot. And then when he left the club, he told the girl, which sounds re- super ominous now, but at the time she's like, What the fuck are you talking about? He said, Stay out of New York next week. Jesus. Christ. Right. And then we had them on videotape and Though the FBI came and they wanted to question everybody about anything right. they remember, and I came in, I said, "Listen, I don't know if me telling you the music they like is going to help you at all, but I could tell you the songs they requested because that's my only interaction with them." Right, right. And they said, "All right, no, don't worry about it." And they let me go, but it is odd that I can say that I was questioned by the FBI twice. And you
0: saw life. the people that yeah, carried out sure. that attack.
1: Yeah, I think there were one plane. I don't think it was all of them. I think it was. I, I looked it up. But, you know, it was one of the planes with these. That has these to give in chills. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy.
0: So, well, that was the second time? That was the only other that time? That was the second
1: time. I mean, nothing came of that. Yeah. For, thank God, nothing came yeah. of either, yeah. uh, Experiences with the FBI. Except now, maybe, if they're listening, they're going to call me for a follow-up. <laughs> other than that, thank God.
0: Well, uh, that's a hell of an opener. I think that's probably the best <laughs> one that we've had on the show.
1: Um, you know what's crazy, by the way, I, not, not to keep rambling, no. but I made a bizarre... Uh, leap so from 13 to about early 15 i was obsessed with breakdancing which if you look at me now it's hilarious to think (laughs) that i I was now i'm six five i was five six at the time and my brother and i got really good and i was in a movie called crush groove they picked us out to be in one of the four breakdancing movies that were made in the 80s and i was in the movie And my brother and I were part of four good white breakdancers in Brooklyn where all the black and Spanish kids would call us the mighty whiteys because we were the only (laughs) good white breakdancers. And they were the only kids that they would let battle and be a part of it all. But then I was friends with, for lack of better words, all the hoodlums in my school. I went to school in Coney Island. There were some dangerous kids there. But back then, if you were good at breakdancing, it didn't fucking matter. You were cool. You know what I mean? Right. Then I got into the nerdy part of my life, which was completely obsessed with computers and hacking and all that other shit, and became friends with all the nerdy kids in school. (laughs) My last year of high school, I decided, you know what? I'm the only fucking idiot that's not gotten laid yet, so I'm going to try and be social and start becoming friends with the cool kids. (laughs) So my last year, I was friends with, quote-unquote, the cool kids, but what was funny was that when they had a problem with someone that they were afraid was going to beat the shit out of them, It was me that resolved the problem because I knew those kids from my breakdancing days. Uh. When there was a problem because they were teasing some kid because he was too goofy or whatever, I would make them stop because I was friends with them from my computer days. So I was like the mayor (laughs) of the school. It was really weird. (laughs) Yeah, negotiator. Yeah, I really was the grand negotiator of John Dewey (laughs) High School, 1986. So by the time you
0: graduated high school, you had seen every way of life you were the criminal you were the the nerd you were the cool yeah, kid yeah i was
1: i was i was the hoodlum the criminal you know i was a little bit everything and then the semi cool kid at the end but like <laughs> and most of the any of the pretty girls that signed my yearbook it was like even though we just met 6 months ago you know because i was not i didn't know any of them until my last year
0: jeez wow. that's incredible that's hell of a childhood
1: yeah it's crazy it really was a, a a crazy time then i uh you know i was a strip club dj for a long time i ran major rock clubs in new york They're out of high school into college and ran like the biggest rock clubs in new york and I'm talking about the late 80s early 90s with the clubs called L'amour and limelight and uh, it was really wild That was a, a nightclub dj that then transitioned into a rock clubs as a promoter and stuff but uh it was crazy in the nightclub era there was this time i mean uh, you again you guys are too young but in the, in the in the late 80s early 90s there were these super clubs of new york one was called the Limelight, and it's, it's still there today. It was a nightclub inside of a church, which what? was insane. It still exists as a as a, a venue now. It's a, a restaurant and a gym, but at one point it was a it was a nightclub that held five thousand people, and they made a documentary about it called Limelight. And then there's a very famous movie with Macaulay Culkin called Party Monster, that's about the nightlife that happened at that time. Was these club kids, and they got so popular. <laughs> that uh they would get it free everywhere they were on tv talk shows there was a subculture called the club kids and one kid got jealous he was one of the older ones of one of the new up-and-coming younger better looking kids and when they were both really high he murdered him Whoa. and he did 17 <laughs> years in jail and when he came out he came on the sdr show to talk about it. <laughs> what the My fuck? podcast holy shit that's insane yeah it's pretty crazy there's a, you can watch the movie the movies called party monster and then there's a documentary about the limelight called limelight um but man those are crazy times we've like done,
0: the- we've done a fair amount of research into you preparing for this and we've seen some of the guests that you've had you've had on the impractical jokers you've had on mark cuban you've had on gene simmons uh dane cook uh, what is it like kind of getting the opportunity to meet and sit down with these people
1: well, what's funny is that, you know, I came from doing nearly, I think it was 16 years in radio where mm-hmm. I had a rock show that I started on my own that was on almost 100 stations. Was that for
0: the, the tour bus?
1: The tour bus, yeah, for almost 15 years. And I remember thinking uh, it would be great if I could ever get a band in studio was my goal when I started that show. How cool would it be if I get a band to perform live in studio? And then you fast yeah. forward 15 years later, it was Hosting Sturgis Rally, hosting the Rock Cruise, which he did for 10 years. And, you know, had uh, every band I could think of perform live in studio. Ho- interviewed Ozzy Osbourne, Jeez. Black Sabbath, Judas Priest. You know, anyone you could think of that matters in rock and roll for the most part in that 80s, 90s vibe I met, interviewed, and hung out with. You know, like, there was a time where if Tommy Lee was in town for Motley Crue, he would be texting me saying, what are you up to tonight? Oh you know, so... <laughs> That's what f- fueled the first year of, of SDR was I was able to call on people I knew. Like, if you look at the first year, it was like the singer of Deep Purple, singer of Living Color, right. Andrew WK, people I, I knew that I could bring into the studio so I could get at least a decent caliber of guests. And then we mix in like porn stars and comics mm-hmm. and whatnot. But then as uh, the show grew, again, to use another funny, like I remember talking to Big J, uh, my co-host saying, let's say – how cool would it be if we could get a thousand people to listen to this show? How ridiculous would that be? And now, you know, I would slit my wrist. I mean, we get uh, we get over a hundred thousand listeners, so uh, it's just amazing what a few years makes. And then, as your show grows, you get one good guest, and unfortunately, most people in this world are followers because the get the, the question that all bookers will say ask you is, "Well, who else has been on the show?" Oh, so as soon as you get that one good guest then you can say, well, this person's been on. It's like a resume,
0: right, yeah. Yeah.
1: So nowadays, anybody that said no, I just send a picture of me and Mark Cuban. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, that's say, all you need you, to do. Are you, yeah, are you telling me that you're more important than this guy? you know? And that'll get me a lot of people. A band recently who had said no before, I just sent them the picture. <laughs> and said, are you saying that you're not as important as the Cubes? And now they're coming <laughs> in and on.
0: It is like a resume, though. I mean, it gives your show credibility, and it it's... It's kind of incredible the effect that it can have on the future of a show.
1: Yeah, but I, I think that that's fucked up. I think that, unfortunately, I mean, I understand right. that there has to be some sort of vetting process when you're a major celebrity, you know, because you're being asked a million times. But, like, I, not that I'm anywhere near that celebrity, let's say I'm one one-hundredth of <laughs> someone like that. If, if That's probably too much, but let's just say um, I'm probably more like one one-thousandth, but still.
0: Oh, Jesus, that makes us one one-millionth.
1: My philosophy is i do everything like i i like being on any and every show i think it's uh it's fun to just do anything and and uh but i mean i'm sure there might be a point in time where i'm like well fuck that but (laughs) you know nowadays i I like and how we got mark cuban it took a year but he actually had heard uh an episode and he liked the show so that made it easy it still took a year but that's the only reason why he said yeah
0: mark cuban likes your show is a hell of a accomplishment
1: yeah, and now him and I are email buddies. We've gone back and forth about maybe ten times since the show. Wow, dang! Like uh, business and
0: yeah, we talked about
1: business about we were going to do something with his network access television, but it didn't it didn't pan out. But mm. I feel like I have his ear maybe one or two other times. So I'm waiting for my next good project that I could email him first to see if he you know give him first right of refusal, so to speak. <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: Shark Tank Part Two.
1: Yeah, I, I, pitched a, I pitched the network to him on yeah, air. I, I watched that yeah, whole episode. That. Yeah, it was amazing. 10. Yeah, so stupid. <laughs> really <laughs> stupid.
0: It was entertaining, though. And he kind of appraised it around 10 million.
1: Yeah, around 10 million. Yeah. I guess it's like sort of did, but it's also funny because a friend of mine who uh, used to run Viacom, uh, he was a VP at Viacom, uh, told me that based on our numbers, he thought it would be worth about 10 million. So then when he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what we figured it out to be. Right. And so I felt like, even though his was almost like maybe not 100% uh, a real valuation, I still I decided to take it as a real valuation just to make me feel better. <laughs> Smart stupid. <laughs> yeah.
0: He's kind of on the spot too, so
1: it's pretty accurate. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty wild. I mean, look, we're still... We still struggle with guests every week. Like my show is filming tomorrow night, which, as we're taping this, I don't know if this is live or not. But I'm a full, I'm a full uh, advocate of pulling back the curtain. So, as we're taping this, my show is tomorrow night. It's literally 24 hours from now, and I don't have a guest yet. That happens all the fucking time. So, and then last minute, three people will say yes, and i will trying to try figure wow. out how to fucking make something happen. You know, so it's just a matter of always trying to, like, Penjillet's supposed to be on, but. I haven't gotten a confirmation yet, and then uh Jeezy, you know, Young Jeezy, the rapper. Now oh, he's, right. just Jeezy. Yeah. he's supposed to be on, but Gee. for all I know, none of them will come on, and then I got to figure out what the fuck we're going to do.
0: Oh, we kind of experienced that with our show, obviously on a smaller level, but like it's got it kind of makes it more interesting where you are like, oh, we don't have a guest coming on. Let's just let's just put an episode together between us. But if you do have a yeah, guest come I'm on, more... it's it's fun.
1: Yeah, I think that being able to do that, feeling comfortable in just you and your co-host filling a a show is is vital like right. i could i could do 10 shows with jay next week it wouldn't be a problem we could talk forever and i think that that's uh while sometimes people get pissed because the guest comes in and we barely talk to them because mm-hmm. we enjoy talking <laughs> with each other so much but you know it all depends i think that a lot of fans have said to us they would prefer us doing more solo shows Which is per- i mean
0: that's the perfect spot to be in yeah, yeah i kind of want to get to that point hopefully
1: yeah it's, it, I tell you podcasting is wild because you know it is realistically 16 17 years old and when you compare it to every other form of entertainment which the next earliest would be TV then movies then mm-hmm. you know radio then print but you know the TV came out 60 years ago so it's a big difference in terms of developing as a platform we are still at the birth of something
0: and it's growing it's massive i mean there's so many podcasts out there. There There's so many ways to get it out there now. I mean, just look at all the podcasting apps. Um, and that kind of brings me to my next group of questions is gas digital itself. How did you move from, you know, just wanting your own podcast to wanting to start a network where now you have, you have, uh, was it 30 shows, 40 shows, 20, we have 20 20 shows. shows. Um, what, what, what's that like to have foster a whole network?
1: Well, I tell you the truth. The truth is that, um, I kind of wish I never started a network. I mean it's great, and it's making money. <laughs> really? and that's cool, but my show has been suffering because now, instead of worrying about my show, I worry more about the other nineteen because yeah. there's you know guests and and ad sales and um you know audio video concerns and and server concerns, whatever that when it was just mine, it was I could focus on just mine. but now my show, as evident by the fact that I don't have a fucking guest tomorrow um, <laughs> It, it's because I'm concerned about everything else that's going on in the network. So, ideally, I'm hoping that within a year I can hire people where the club, the 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 network's making enough money to where I can go back to focusing on my show. Right. But that being said, you know, I started out as I said earlier in radio, and SDR is now five years old. We just had our five year anniversary. Oh, but congrats. six years ago, uh, Jay asked me if I would do a podcast with him. And at the time my douchey response was podcasting is for people that can't get into radio. Uh, Why would I fucking do that? I'm doing radio, you know? So he was like, all right, well, if you ever change your mind, let me know. Right. And then over the course of that year, I started reading about how important podcasting was and Mark Marin and Joe Rogan and, and the the week in tech and all these shows that were making money and how influential they were becoming. I'm like, you know what, Jay, let's start a fucking podcast. Right. (laughs) And, I was so embarrassed of the name podcast. That's why it's called the SDR show, because they didn't want the name podcast oh my gosh. In the title, because I was embarrassed about it, because at the time I felt, you know, when you guys were what, like 14 at the time, I guess, um, it connoted to me somebody in a basement in their mother's house doing their idea of a of a ham radio show kind of thing, <laughs> you know? It's, it's not far off from our roots, so... <laughs> And I think also, though, not enough people knew of Joe Rogan at the time or, or Mark Maron that's since changed. Now everybody and their grandmother oh, has a podcast. Yeah. I mean, evident by yeah. when I started, the, the metric was they were they were closing in on a quarter of a million podcasts, and now we're closing in on a million just five years later, which is Jeez. crazy, you know? So the podcast started, it started to build, and we got to a point where we had, let's say, 5,000 listeners, and I thought that was good, but and I was very proud of myself. Right. But when I reached out to advertisers, like the 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 uh, mid rolls of the world, you know those those bigger advertising companies, yeah. they don't look at you unless you have twenty thousand. Right. Oh, That's yeah, the right way. on
0: their website. They they set a limit. You can't even email yeah. them unless you have a certain amount.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And my thought was, well, I have my show that has five thousand. I know a few other shows that are about the same. It's the same concept of my network for radio where i was on 80 stations 85 stations each one was small to medium size but you group them together and we had a quarter of a million people listening to me every weekend right so let's do that with this let's get four or five like kind shows that have five to ten thousand listeners then we have 40 fifty thousand oh, listeners see. and we could start selling it as the network and make money that was the thought right
0: well that's smart yeah
1: exactly and what happened was i had been on a comedy network called all things comedy with sdr and in the first year we did it we were their fourth biggest show on the network and my first ad sales check was for the year a hundred dollars i was like wow okay this hurts you know (laughs) and um my partner lewis was on another network called um stand-up labs and he wasn't even getting ad sales but we said look i he had been on stand-up labs and he had had some done some work on Sirius XM. I'm on stand on, on all things comedy, and um, I'd been on regular radio. Between us, we have a lot of broadcasting knowledge and network knowledge and podcasting knowledge. Let's take the best of all those worlds and create something together. So we started Gas Digital three years ago. We had four shows and ten thousand listeners collectively. Jeez i didn't look at us as starting a network really even though we did start it three years ago we moved into studio space one year ago in may that's when i consider that we actually started a business and it wasn't just a bunch of idiots using my second bedroom right you know what yeah I mean? it feels even nice though,
0: when you have your own place
1: yeah we had money coming in and we had uh, subscribers and all that other shit but i didn't feel like it was really anything until okay we are now paying commercial rent maybe because i'm fucking old and i look at it that way you know <laughs> It's very possible but to me that's when we got serious so now it is uh three years later or a year later well really three years later to be at this metric right. where we are uh 20 shows and we do about two million listeners a week Jeez. and it's a crazy build you know of course i would like to be 40 shows and 20 million listeners a week but it's the metric no one's ever happy with their metric right, you know whatever it is yeah. the, the the best story i could tell you is that i did a show he's a very famous comic jim norton and he has a show called the chip Chipperson show that does really well and i saw his youtube videos forgive it his podcast but his youtube videos were getting like 50,000 listens and i went to do the show and i'm like hey jim just wanted to say congrats on your 50,000 listens for just youtube it's amazing god that means the the podcast is probably getting a couple hundred thousand listens right. right and his his response was i don't know uh joe rogan gets some 2 million per video so i don't know if that's so great you know so like You're never fucking happy, no matter where you are.
0: The next person ahead. You looking at the
1: guy above you. The truth is that you shouldn't ever be happy. I'm sure Joe Rogan says, "Why are we only getting a million? Why is it not two? (laughs) You know, that's just the nature of who. If you're in this business, that that should be your your metric is that you should never be happy. Right. So, the same thing with Gas Digital. We're always trying to push um, better content, better quality, better service. I want us to be the standard by which all other podcasts are looked at.
0: I mean, it's incredible. And oh yeah, it's a. I think I looked at all of your sponsors, and you have a significant amount of sponsors. I mean, do you struggle oh, yeah. with like kind of keeping the show's feel with all of these sponsors, having to plug all of them, or do you? Well, the funny, the, the thing is
1: that with, like I don't allow. We I had three commercials last week, and I yelled at my ad sales guy. I don't want more than two in the show, and I'll do a cold open for a third. But right. I'm not. I don't want to run three in the show, which right. sounds weird. I don't saying I don't want to make money, but. It's that I think it starts sounding basically in my head. One commercial every twenty to thirty minutes seems about right, you know. So that's to an hour, basically. And my show's an hour, so I sneak in if we're going to do a cold open one, like a quick plug. I'll do it, but I'd rather the the customer be happy than (laughs) me make a few extra dollars.
0: Right, and I think that's a quality that your listeners greatly appreciate and i think if we ever got to a level that would be our same kind of mission is to Mm -hmm. kind of keep the core of the show alive
1: yeah Um, i mean i don't know if you know the comedian is very fucking funny ari shafir he has a show uh and he refuses it's called skeptic tank it's not on the network but i'm just promoting he's really funny but he will not do and he has way more listeners he has a a crazy amount of listeners he's in that joe rogan world and mm -hmm. um he will not do more than one ad per show because he just thinks it's it's not worth it you know for his listener base right he just only wants to do one ad per show
0: it's incredible yeah well the the network seems like it's it's doing great and you're obviously growing um kind of to get back to the roots of our show and how we're a conspiracy and a paranormal show while we were emailing uh you mentioned that you uh dated a flat earther (laughs) yes did, can you kind of elaborate how that relationship went? Because we actually interviewed a flat-earther a few months ago, and uh, it was an interesting conversation, to say the least. They kind of deny yeah. all science, and uh, they really won't believe unless you take them up into a spaceship.
1: So what but was even it if like? Go into a spaceship, I don't think they'd believe it because to them, it's still a, a disk. You know, <laughs> you only see a disk. You don't see the, you know, you, you kind of see things in, in that distance in two dimensions no matter what, so... I don't think that they i think even if you took a flat earth into space they would make sense because there's been proven science where the flat earth i don't know if you've seen these videos where they set up two holes and they shine a light through oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know technically if there's a curvature it shouldn't hit and it doesn't hit and then <laughs> they make up a reason why it didn't you know what i mean like oh yeah they, yeah. they work out ways to make the science not be science
0: or they just um, say it's a conspiracy they think nasa's a dangerous entity or something like that right
1: exactly um so with her i I, I use the um the adage is that you know guys will put up with a lot the hotter a girl is so (laughs) it's um i didn't know right away and i remember like she would say bat shit crazy things and i just would deal with it but my my favorite one was we went to see um the movie arrival you know oh yeah and there's a major scene where this where the spacecraft lands in the field right right and she turns to me and she said the real one that landed was way bigger and i was like god damn it can you please not say crazy shit
0: (laughs) ruin the movie
1: yeah and then um when i found that she was a flat earther i would try and explain i said look so this is a rock right and this rock is kind of round and there's a bigger rock and this bigger rock is kind of round at what point does it start to flatten out doesn't make any sense, you know. But and everybody knew it, and everybody would make fun of me. But you know, we we dated for a while, and you know, I I would say that you know my, my penis was a flat earther. What could I tell you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a good quote to uh, end on. <laughs> well, we've approached the thirty minute mark. I don't want to hold you over, but uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you have anything cool. to plug, definitely everyone check out Gas Digital Network uh, and SDR Show. Yeah, oh, follow me everywhere.
1: Follow me everywhere at I am Ralph Sutton. Uh, I'm a big fan of social symmetry. So if you're just starting out a podcast, get your a a a, uh, a handle that's the same everywhere, like the SDR show at the SDR show. Right. Uh, makes life a lot better. And if you want, you could check out. I was just featured on the front page of Entrepreneur.com. Oh, yeah, on a podcast. Right, so right. I think I try to give a lot of information on how to start a podcast with next to no money. I think very often people see a show like mine with video and. Big guess and right. blah blah blah. You're like, well, I want to do all of that, but the truth is, just start. You could start with next to no money, and then see if you even like it before you delve in and spend money that you probably might be throwing away six months from now.
0: It's great advice. We will link that article down below as well as well as the network and your show. And again, thank you for coming on. I mean, it's great advice, and your experiences have been crazy.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Yep.
0: Uh, Everyone, we will catch you on next week's episode, and make sure to follow us on everywhere, including Spotify, Stitcher, and uh, Anchor. We will see you next week.